If you could, open your Bible, if you have it, or if not, on your phone, or you can read it with us up here. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50 is where we're going to be today. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. I'll, I'll give you a moment to get there. Isn't it good that God has not left us with a vague idea of himself, but rather he has given us con Crete awareness and knowledge and story and narrative of who he is. And a treat it is that we can gather and open up the Bible and see who God is. And many are tempted to say, you know, somewhere out there, I'm sure there's a God who, or there's a higher power, or there's probably some purpose. And we as Christians, uh, we hold in our hands every Sunday um, the good news of who this God is and how he has interacted with us. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36, we get that great insight into God in flesh, Jesus. It says this in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him, speaking of Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a Sinner, note that there is pointed adjectives about her already. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She had a reputation. And Jesus answering said to him, and answering his heart, but not his words, because Simon did not just say those things, but rather thought them. But Jesus knew the thoughts of his heart, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman... He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God, that we might see you more clearly, and that our response would be to worship you more fully. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. In case you weren't here last week, uh, Keith uh, started kind of a two-part two series, and today is the second part, and it was a bit of an introduction to what we're going to be having this summer, which is dinner and discipleship. And, and not everyone here is an insider, and so you wouldn't know what dinner and discipleship is, maybe. And so what that is, is we take some time. We're taking six weeks. We set it aside uh, for this, this round. It's every Thursday night, and we meet up upstairs, and we have a bunch of food, hence dinner, and discipleship happens, where what we do is we gather around content, and we, we are encouraged to consider how Christ might become famous in that area of our lives. So discipleship is simply when we are turning our affection, our attention toward God, and we are becoming more like him, we are worshiping him, we are becoming like Christ, being discipled by his word. And so that's why we gather. So every six, oh, so for those six weeks, rather, not this Thursday, but the next, we are gathering for dinner and then around a particular book that is going to walk through some content that's oriented around kind of some difficult stuff like what happens when a bunch of people get in a room like this, relate to each other, not necessarily because they chose to be in the same room, but because they're gathering around the table of God. And then once, you know, once we get in a room with each other, sometimes it's awesome and sometimes there's a rub. You ever had a rub? And so this dinner discipleship is going to be oriented around believers in the body of Christ coming together and asking this question, how can I be more God-centered in the way I interact with people in this room? And for some of you, for many of you who have families, the people in this room are also the people in your home which would even be a more difficult and complex question to answer, which would be how can I be more like Christ to the people in my home who are not just my family but my brothers and sisters in Christ, but also a larger context like this. And so we're going to be learning and being, we're going to be equipped to learn how to be more Christ-like in our, action, in our interactions with one another. So for those reasons, I would encourage you to come. It will be, it will be a great time. The, the content is around the book, if you want to get it in advance, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, written by Paul David Tripp. And last week, Keith also, he reminded us as we were celebrating baptism with people up through that window, which is a declaration of people making a profession of faith in Christ. As we were celebrating that, he reminded us that in about the last 12 months, 55 or so people have begun to come to this church who have made a new commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God has been gracious to dozens of people in this church in calling them out of a life of sin and giving them, through the blood of Jesus Christ, a new life. So dozens of people have gathered, and then he, he asks us, have you ever thought about whether or not you have a responsibility toward those people? And that's a good question. Those people you did not grow up with, you have never spoken to, you saw them, and you maybe heard their testimony of baptism, or you can look around in this church and you see people that you do not know, yet maybe you have a responsibility or a duty toward those people. Have you ever thought about that? And by inference, not just those new dozens of people, but also to all of the people in this room. 
There is a stewardship. There is a responsibility that each of us carry, not just toward the microcosm of our own lives, but also to the body of Christ. And a good question would be, have you ever considered whether or not you are pursuing your responsibility to serve the body of Christ? And ways in which we can do that, and I don't want to demean them, we can take care of children, and that serves the body of Christ. And we can stand at the front door and shake hands, and that serves the body of Christ. And we can be up here and play music, and that serves the body of Christ. But you, you know that life exists far more inside of relationships than it does handshakes. It exists inside of sorrow and joy far more than the 45 minutes of stewarding children, which is a great joy and a great gift, but life is filled with so much more. There is a personal life that we are called to interact with in this place. And a good question would be, are you provoked by God to have a sense of responsibility to care for, to serve, and to pray for? Those in this church. And so that's what he pricked inside of our hearts last week. He did. And that's what we're going to be focusing in those six weeks together. And we're going to be equipped to do it well. Because it's scary when you get in relationships, isn't it? I mean, if you've even been married for any amount of time, day one, it's a little scary. It's, it's a little nervous. What's my place? How should I? What should I? I don't want to be too much. I don't want to be too little. Like, what's appropriate, right? This is tough stuff. So I want to, I, I recognize this, that there are, there are roughly three groups of people. When I talk about that stuff, there are people in this church who are dedicated and committed to the Lakeview Christian Center family of people. Then there are people in here today who are somewhat on the fringe. Maybe you call Lakeview home, but it's just a place you visit from time to time. And so the idea that you would serve these particular people is a little bit foreign. And even more foreign would be another group of people who you, you're on the very much the periphery of spirituality and religion. And the idea of Jesus is something you're kind of curious about, but certainly not committed to, certainly not connected to. So what in the world would any of this have to do with you? And so that would be a good question. What in the world would any of this have to do with you if you are loosely tied and you show up maybe 20 minutes late, maybe every few weeks? What would it have to do with you? Because your presence is not really felt. And then there's the group who are just like, no, 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 I'm, I'm here every Sunday and how can I help and how can I serve? And, and for many of you who, that's you, you, you know what it's like for that flame to die and to not want to serve those people and to become overwhelmed by your own life. So the question is, can we all three, all three of those groups receive from God's word today through that passage of scripture when thinking about the content of this sermon? And the answer is yes. So lean in. And to, to those who call LCC home, I hope that God opens your eyes to see the joy and the gift that he has given us in the gathering of believers. I hope that God drops a love bomb in our hearts for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The hopeful effects of that love bomb would be intentional, prayerful care from one person to another. Encouragement 
accountability, friendship, meaningful, deep conversation, shared tears of joy and shared tears of sorrow. I'm hoping that God transplants his very burden for this church into our hearts. And to those of you who would call yourselves Christians, but Lakeview Christian Center is not really your home. It's kind of a home away from home. And if time permits, you call it home. I hope that you would lean in and consider the importance of being a part of the visible and touchable family of God. Whether that be here or somewhere else, every Christian should bear the burden of continued vulnerable love and care for other Christians. And to those of you who would maybe consider yourselves far from God, and you're very much a periphery person, good news is this this passage we're going to talk about today has periphery people in it. You've joined us on a day where we will see in Scripture a beautiful display that God gives us of himself. In the form of Christ. He's eating and drinking with people like us. One of which is on the periphery of religion. She carries a deep sense of identity that is not with God at the middle of that identity. And that may be very much like you. The other major character is a is a guy who is a leading religious figure in his time. He carries a deep sense of identity that is very God-centered. But the story unfolds for each of those characters, I would say, in a surprising way. I love the Christian faith for so many reasons, but not least of which is that God, who created the heavens and the earth, surprises us taking on flesh, walking among us, eating and drinking with us, showing his creation affection and justice. So to you who are far from God, lean in and see who God is as we look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. It's beautiful. And as right before we jump back in, I just want to also take a moment and I want to say I'm very aware that the subject of relationships, friend to friend, husband to wife, girlfriend to boyfriend, wife to husband, enemy to enemy, aggressor to victim, victim to aggressor, this is, this is nothing light. And so it's real nice to say like, hey, just love, just love people. And our culture would demand that of us, wouldn't it? Without definition of what sacrificial love is when people are wounded, when people disagree, when people have different opinions. Just love, man. Wouldn't it be so great if it were just that easy? And it's not. There's a soft word I used earlier. There's a rub when you get next to people. My most bitter moments filled with tears and my most joyful moments filled with tears include people every time. I remember being a teenager and cutting grass and just being consumed 
with frustration and anger at a person. And every week when I would go cut grass, I would feel the same way. And I would think, why? Why am I so hurt? Why am I so bothered? Anyone ever been there? Cutting grass, (laughs) washing clothes, doing dishes, driving, kids talking to you, and you're just consumed. You can't hear anything other than the voice of anger or fear in your head. This is, this is every day, and, and culture would say, just love, man, with no definition of what that actually looks like. But the scripture provides an unbelievable definition of what that love looks like. So, so based on those wounds that we often carry and the general, general respect of privacy that we kind of show people, It's difficult to consider what role we should play in other people's lives, right? It's tough. How much? I mean, seriously, I have a hard time with my marriage of 20 years, like figuring out, am I being too much or am I being not enough? So the idea that I would do that here with people is like, I'm going to just be honest it's, a, it's, it's more than intimidating. It's kind of like, oh, it's so weighty. And on top of that, can any of you relate to this? I have enough at home. And then on top of that, I have a job with lots of people that I relate to all the time. Early in the morning and late at night. I don't have time for you, is how I feel very often. Anyone know what that feels like? And it's because of that mentality that we find ourselves hit or miss in the church, in part. It's because there isn't a sense of burden, a sense of duty, a sense of stewardship. It's optional. As a result, you know, the first time I took my son home, my, my oldest son, I was just like, I was a kid, I feel like. And I'm taking this kid home, and I'm like 21-ish. I don't know what to do with my own life. And now i got a kid, and this is what I, 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 I guess i got to take care of him now. Y'all, y'all not coming with me? <laughs> I I wanted the nurses to be a part. I mean, it's like they were like, hey, you want them in the bedroom tonight? Please, no, I don't know what to do with them. Take them in the nursery. Like, we have enough, but when we sense responsibility, what happens? That dude never left my side. I'm committed. I'm all in. There's no going back. And if you're single or if you don't have kids, here, just relate like this. Let's say you step outside of your apartment on your, you know, floor or maybe outside and you see an infant crawling around with no parents. What do you do? What do you do? Say, oh, cool, baby. (laughs) Or do you have an immediate sense of responsibility to steward that life? The answer is yes. We come to the rescue in those moments. And what what I'm trying to insert and what I think God is inserting through his word in us is a sense 
of responsibility as we watch Jesus interact with his people that he would transplant that burden into our lives. And that we would be encouraged through the summer on Thursday nights for a few weeks to go to learn. Kind of like I wanted to ask those nurses every question about everything in the world. Like how can I, what can I? That would be the same thing. And we would have a sense of burden. But what is our responsibility? Is it exhaustive? Is it nonstop? Is it, is it corrective? Is it harsh? It's all sorts of things that come through our mind. But I would hope as we jump back into the scripture now, three simple things would happen. One, that we would see Jesus as beautiful today. That we would see him as, wow, how could you? You're so gracious. You're so kind, authoritative, loving. Wow. I would hope, secondly, that you are provoked to consider a grace that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit to care for, to love, and to serve the people in this church. And third, I would hope that the Holy Spirit would posture us before others in this church the way Christ postured himself toward each of us when God saved us through the life, the, be- the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And a, a more succinct way to say that would be my hope is that we would become more like Christ to each other. So the goal is not to walk away with any how-to today as much as being in awe with the ultimate instrument that God used to redeem us, Jesus. And that we would be filled with passion to emulate his life. So let's go to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Who are the Pharisees is a good question. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's not a term we use anymore. It was a group of people who, between the Old and the New Testament, the intertestamental period, hundreds of years, they began to rise in power because they began to see the secularization of the Jewish faith. They began to see things that were falling apart, and so they rose to power. And these were people who were very, very black and white. These were not as I see it, the kinds of people I would really want to be friends with, to be honest with you. Like, they had very rigorous traditions. Not only were they, like, deeply committed to God's Word, but they, were, they thought they were so committed to God's Word that they had to take it even to another level and start even more holy traditions that would separate people to be seen as godly rather than in the world. These were people, man, who were like, God, y'all know people like this? They've always been around. They just had a title back then. So one of those guys who, interestingly, that group of people were one of the main groups who figured out we have to kill Jesus. Now, they weren't just a group of people. They were a group of people committed to God's word, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. 
They were trying to do the godly thing. And so the Pharisees were not looked at necessarily as enemies. So when Jesus was invited over, though that group of people would one day figure out how to get him to the cross, which was God's divine plan, but they were very important in that part. They invited him over to the house. Now, that's a tricky, tricky situation. Wouldn't you imagine that to be? Would you find that to be tricky if you knew your hands were going to, or your life was in their hands in a weird way in the future? Now, there were bad interactions with the Pharisees before this in the book of Luke. If you go back, there were several interactions. They're never good. Never good. So when Jesus is invited by one of these people, you got to feel like there's some tension in the room already. Because if you go and look at the interactions with Jesus and the Pharisees, there's always tension in the room. But he's inviting him over for dinner. This seems appropriate. So he asked them to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. You know, the Pharisees had a very particular way of cleaning their furniture. They were so holy, they cleaned their furniture a certain way. They had a very particular way of cleaning all of the dishes and the cups and the plates that Jesus was about to use. And they had to get it right every time. Very particular. They fasted twice a week. How many of you have fasted in the last 10 years? They did it twice a week. But this is one of the days that they were eating Or this guy, Simon the Pharisee in particular. Very, very meticulous group of people. So why would he invite him over? I think it was either to trap him, to take his ministry down, or I think it was to maybe learn from him. Now we get a hint from his response that at best I think the Pharisee Simon was a skeptic of Jesus. It doesn't seem in the beginning, at the very least, that he is a believer in who he is. So let's keep reading. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. What a very descriptive way to talk about a person. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Didn't title the Pharisee as that person. She had a reputation. And it wasn't a good one. And probably a lot of people, and we learn later on that even Simon the Pharisee, who did not remember, it's important to know, he did not associate with people like that. I got to get my cups right. You think I'm associated with a person like that? The answer is no. Even he knew who this woman was, where she came from, what type of person that she was. So a woman of the city, a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining, Jesus, reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, interesting to picture all of this. Uh, It was common when they would have meals like this where there would be couches and, you know, those people would maybe even be on their elbows with their legs behind them and they're just straight kicking it. I mean, it's a relaxed, easygoing, what's up? Like, we're going to be here for a minute on our elbows, looking around the food, the table there, and people would be surrounding it, and so their feet would be behind them. And then in that day, too, when, when teachers or rabbis would come into parties like that or meals, it was okay. It was kind of like an open-door policy where people could come and join from the city. 
Uh, you, you remember during the pandemic and you just have your garage up or your door open? It's like, come on in, dude. Like, like anyone would walk by and they'd stop that you'd never talk to who was a neighbor. It was just like a different season of life. Well, back then in these environments, they would all be sitting there like this and people could just come on him. And so this woman just moseys on it because she hurt who was there, but she brings something. And it's a, it's a flask with beautiful perfume or ointment on the inside. Now, many, many scholars believe that there was a good chance that she was a prostitute in the city. And you know, one of the greatest things a prostitute could have would be the way she smells. It's a big deal. And this is maybe in, in some way her livelihood. Now, it's not, it's not explicit that that is the case, but there's some implication for us to believe that that could be the case. Either way, this was something valuable to her. But maybe it was even deeper than value. Maybe it was a sense of identity. And she comes and she brings it because she heard that Jesus was there. I wonder how she had heard about Jesus being anyone even in the first place. Because she had heard about him. I wonder if maybe she had heard him preach. I wonder if she had repented of her sin. I wonder if she had already been struck to the heart by the words of Jesus. So much so that when she heard he was around, she brought a gift. She already saw value in Jesus. But look at who this woman was. The fact that she thought that she could approach Christ says something more so about Christ than it does her. There was previous knowledge and awareness. And to those of you who are far from God, this is important because there is a lot of ways of thinking that we are not people who can approach God. And have you ever heard of the things that I've done? If I only told you, and if you had any idea, and so we walk back in shame. But this woman who had a life of sin that the whole city seemed to know about, a woman of the city who was a sinner that even the Pharisees knew her reputation, she leaned in. And it's interesting to see how Jesus responds. She doesn't just lean in to say, hey, how's it going? Just checking in. You good? Heard a good teaching. Just kind of wanted to get here again. It is a bizarre experience. It's a bizarre, like we're going to put ourselves in this situation. We're going to ask ourselves, what if I was there? What would that have felt like? What would I have thought? Would I have thought like Simon? Or would I have thought like Jesus? And standing behind him at his feet. Okay, so remember, she's back there. She's not even looking at him. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Picture it. This is a woman of awful reputation. She's got to be scared to death. Walking into a home with a guy who would call her a person who would make him unclean. With people all around, real official-like, real good people. She walks in. All she's got is this little thing maybe hanging around her neck. She doesn't even get to Jesus. She gets to his feet. She begins to sob at his feet. To weep at the thought at the memory, the sight, the hope. So much, so much tears that she could just take her hair and wipe it. 
that there's something needed. You see, what would have been appropriate for Simon to do when a guest comes, they all wore, wore Birkenstocks or Crocs basically back then. And so what they should have done, Simon should have said, here's some water for your feet and I'm going to clean you up. And here's a kiss for your cheek and you're welcomed in my home. And here's ointment or oil for your head. It's a sign of honor. He did none of those things. But she comes in and she doesn't use water. She uses her tears. What kind of woman must this have been? Jesus doesn't even seem to move. She continues on and takes her hair. She's undone. Imagine what she looks like. Any makeup, gone. The braiding of the hair, finished. And it's, it's a nasty mess. I gotta imagine there's, there's things happening. It's, it's a little gross. It's a scene, y'all. It's a scene. It's supposed to be a professional scene. It's supposed to be a conversational scene. It's supposed to be between a couple of spiritual leaders of the day. And this woman interrupts it with weeping and hair washing on his feet. And her opening the alabaster flask and pouring it on him. And she's kissing his feet over and over and over again. The craziest thing. Jesus doesn't tell her to stop. That's crazy. Imagine if you're that person. Please get away from me. It's kind of the response. Now, we're not Christ, but I want you to put yourself into that situation. It's like, you're crazy. You are crazy. And everyone around the room with her reputation, what do you think they're thinking about her? But maybe worse still, what do you think they're thinking about him? What do you think they're thinking about him? Dude, you've lost it. You're crazy. And Simon gives way to that in his heart. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and look, I'm going to say, we probably all say it. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. She's nasty. That's what he's saying. Not a fan is what he's saying. He didn't say it out loud. Hey, you think all the other people in the room were thinking the same thing? I bet you they were. Would you be thinking the same thing? For those of you who are in Christ, do you remember being her? You remember being her? You remember coming to the grips? You remember coming to the realities of your sin? Do you remember when you were a teenager in 20s or 30s or or maybe, maybe just a few weeks ago or a few months ago, do you remember what it felt like when you interacted with Christ and you had faith that you would be forgiven of all, all of your sin? That you carried so much guilt and so much shame and so much fear that if people would find out what would happen. Do you remember weeping? I remember. Simon doesn't remember that moment in his life. 
do you also know what it's like to be Simon? Where you forgot what it was like to be her. Have you ever looked at someone in this room and you forgot what it was like to be her? But rather like Simon, you see that person edge up to the table with Jesus and you say to yourself, I don't get it. Does anyone know what's really going on with that person? Seems pretty shady to me. Do you know what that's like? Or do you know what it's like to be in relationship with people that you do know? That you do love? And you've watched their brokenness and you can't forgive. You know what it's like to be disappointed. To look at people and to look down on them. And to say to yourself, if I were in their shoes, that wouldn't be me. I'd never do that. Can you believe that? Or even to their face, how could you? After all I've done, after all we've been, how could you? And then you Simon up and you put that trench coat on and you don't let them back in. And you question their faith and you question and you doubt and you wonder. You know what that's like? There's an amazing beauty in Jesus receiving that worship. Just sitting there. Not rejecting it, but embracing it. What if his body on this earth, the church, were like that? What if we were a people who just oozed compassion and grace. And that when we saw people in the church who were hurting, who were new to the faith, the 55 or so people who have, who have gathered in this place, the dozens who were recently baptized, like what if our heart were inclined toward them? What if you weren't so consumed with your life that church was just a convenience if time permitted. Does that scene look like a loosely, you know, take it or leave it kind of scene? Or is that a beckoning to ministry in the church? When you interact with a person like that, does that provoke something in you to say, how can I help? How can I serve? Because that woman's going to walk away. And here's a good question. Now what? That's a good question. You think it's done? Think it's over? You think that woman's like, okay, I'm good. Let me get myself back together. Everything's great. Have you been her where you were forgiven and you didn't know what to do? Have you been her and then someone came alongside of you and said, how can I help? How can I pray for you? How can I serve? Have you been her? How beautiful is it when the body of Christ gathers around our brokenness? Not because they want to leverage anything, but because they just want to be Christ-like. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. 
So Jesus answering said to him, Simon, bad news, Simon. I have something to say to you. Now, he didn't say anything out loud, right? I have something to say to you. So Simon's like, well, I guess it's something new because I didn't say anything and indict myself. Say it, teacher. A little bit of confidence in there, huh? Go ahead. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. That was about two months worth of wages versus 20 months worth of wages. Okay, so it's a lot of money on the top end guy. But it's a lot of money nonetheless. Key here is it's not really about money. Spoiler alert, it's about sin. When they could not pay, neither 50 or the 500, they couldn't pay anything. He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, I want to be sure to say that sin, the the math of grace, is like 50 equals 500. Okay? The math of grace is like this. Though you have only racked up $50 of debt, you can't pay it. So it might as well be 500. But this is what we do. Well, at least it's not 500. Or we go, I'm not that 50 guy. I wish I were that 50 guy. Level playing field. 50 equals 500. That's what happens. The math of grace. It, no one can pay anything off. Not one person can pay the debt for their sin. We all Know this because we feel it. We know it because we try to work around it. We try to keep escaping that sin. But you cannot pay it. You cannot pay it. So he says, neither of them, the one who racked up tons and the one who racked up little, they could afford zero payments on it. So the money lender is good. And he erased both. And did not say, but you still owe me more. Or did not say, well, because you owed me less, none of that conversation happened. Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt would be, would be more loving. And Jesus said to him, you judge rightly. Then turning toward the woman. This is where it gets just crazy. So he's one-on-one with Simon. And we all know how Simon feels about this woman. And then turning toward the woman. He says to Simon, do you see her? Look at her. It's a moment. He's in his house, invited to his dinner with all of his friends. And he says, hey, you know the one who you look down upon? Look at her. Simon doesn't even want to look at her. I got to imagine. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with my hair. Do you remember worshiping God in that way, church? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you remember worshiping God in that way? Or are you more familiar with the way of Simon who doesn't worship anymore? 
Or for those of you who are far from Christ, do you find yourself in the picture of Simon? Who, when you hear about Jesus or you hear about church, it's something low. It's not something that you're excited to be around. My hope is that God is pricking your heart today with the truth of who Jesus is. You gave me no kiss. Can you imagine Jesus Christ walking in, shooing off his feet, not embracing him or kissing him. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many. Hey, Simon, you're the guy who's got it all together, right? Mm-hmm. Barely got, you got 50 sins, right? Mm-hmm. Her sins are forgiven. Beautiful picture of what happens when Christ brings people into his body. Leveled it out. Do you, what type of people do you prefer? Have you ever inspected your heart? Do you prefer the 50 or the 500? Have you ever found yourself in a group of people who can reciprocate? Have you ever found yourself in a group of people who cannot? And which group do you prefer to run with? Well, let me just go ahead and confess. I prefer people who reciprocate. But Christ beckons me to be otherwise. Simon wanted to be with his boys. He didn't want that woman at the party. He had judgments in her heart and judgments toward Christ even that if he knew, he wouldn't. Man, I think this is a good picture of the love and the burden that we should embrace, that Christ has embraced as he sees this woman. And instead of being people who know the Bible and go to church but stand far off from his feet. But man, we wash our pots, don't we? Man, these guys, they were so rigorous in their giving. They tithed 10% of all that they had, even to their herbs and their spices. Man, did they love God. But put a person in the room, I'm about me and him. I'm not about us and him. That's kind of what the illustration is here. And I think God is calling us in this particular season to pick our heads up and to say, God, who, who do you have me to minister to and to serve? And if it's a 50 or if it's 500, let me be like Christ to them. Her sins are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her the most releasing words that any human can ever hear. From God in flesh, Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Which comes with full and complete embrace into his body. She has been adopted 
into his kingdom. I have two. You know what that now means? Me and her, we're together. It's not optional. We're in together. I want to take a moment again just to, just to point at our homes if I could. You know what you have in your house? And I don't mean to be exclusive toward people who, who live as single and live by themselves, but I just need to point this out. Do you know what you have in your house? You have these people. You know what that feels like? You ha- do you have a 50 and a 500 in your house? Do you have a preference? Do you know what it's like to be yoked up and joined up with people in the body of Christ, in your home, who you have a lot of problems with? It's hard to work through. Grown children, spouses, people who have abused you and taken advantage of you. I just, I just want to remind you, Jesus is the authority. He is the forgiver of sins. He is the redeemer of all people. He is the healer of all wounds. I don't know what to do with all of these complex relationships we have in this place, but I know our one hope is Christ. It's our one hope. He is the one who has forgiven us, and he is the one who commands us to forgive. He has modeled this woman and her great catastrophic lifestyle of sin, and yet he forgave her. And those sins were not against anyone in this room. They were against him. And the sins in this room are primarily against him, yet he forgives and beckons us to do the same. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I just, I just want to put that, that picture in your mind And I want to ask you this question. She walks away. Now what? Now what? I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to be. This is real, man. Real stuff. This is us. This is the church. People who have disastrous backgrounds or clean and tidy backgrounds that will rely on their personal righteousness or not know how to be righteous. Now what? The beautiful thing is that God, through his great grace, has given us the church so that we might serve one another, encourage one another, be there for one another. And you know what it doesn't look like? Occasionally participating when time permits. And I can say these things because I don't work at the church. This isn't what I do for a living. And it is, there are times where life is a sideways swing and you don't have as much time, but where is your heart when you come back from that sideways swing? Where do you go? Back to a place of, well, I'll get around them when I can. Man, God is calling people to jump in, to dive in. Parents, to show your kids where your greatest 
and most preeminent value is, which is to Christ and building his kingdom. Not occasionally, not when convenient, not if time permits. This is an opportunity. So she walks away. Now what? I just want to close with this verse. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. You don't have to turn with me. I'll just read it quickly. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you. You know what would be transferable? Just as I loved her. That would be true. One that he has saved. One that he has called. His disciples or that woman in the city. Just as I have loved those who I have saved, my command to you is love like that. You're also to love one another in 35. This is the beautiful picture of the church. By this, that type of love, that weepy, forgiving Wow, embracing, how can I help? Oh my gosh, by that love, people will know that you are my disciples if you have this love for one another. We don't have to go into the world and tell them all about Jesus. We do, but you know what we can also do? Like, we don't have to only do that. You know what we can also do? Love the body of Christ. It will tell the world, why are you so committed? Why do you have priorities? How do you find time? I am only consumed with myself. Like, what's different about you? How do you serve these people? Why are you inviting me to these things? You're weird. But that great love for one another. People sleeping on your couch. Have you ever had someone sleeping on your couch who's in the middle of a divorce? And they're a brother in Christ and you are doing your part to rescue them from that catastrophe in life. Have you ever been up all night on the phone? Have you ever called someone to pursue them in their weakness? Have you ever gone to a bedside to visit them in the hospital? When was the last time you checked in on someone who told you that they were struggling in their faith? By that great love and pursuit and care and affection for one another, the world will know that we love Christ. It's not that we are great because of our love for others, but rather it's because he has so greatly loved us that we must love others like that. So how can I help? Where can I serve? What can I do? How many hands can I shake? How many children can I go watch? Not just that, but how can I call? Can... <laughs> Right? Love, affection, care for the body of Christ. Let us not be the Simons who sit back and critique and watch Christ deal with other people and watch the staff and the pastor do all the things and us look at them and say, well, I wouldn't do it like that. I would be different. I don't even know if I want to come here anymore because, I mean, get up in the mix. Serve the people of God. Love Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and others like you love yourself. The two greatest commandments. This is the life of the church. This is the gospel. This is the good news. I hope women of the city come here. Do you 
And when she comes, do you back away or do you lean in? Let's stand up and pray. God, we're grateful for your word. Again, I'm grateful, God, that you have not left us with an abstract, elusive view of who you are, but you have been detailed and precise. You have given us who you are through your word. And God, you have given us who you are through Christ. And you have shown us how you interact with us as people, as sinners. At one time, at far from you, God, you showed us great grace. Help us to do the same. Help us, God, to be to others the way you were to her. Help us to be to others the way you were and are to us, those who call you king. God, we love you. We, we, we profess our faith in you. We care about what you care about. So help us to know how to be more like Christ to those around us. And God, for those in here who are far from you, those who are curious, those who have been with a stiff hand toward you, God, if they have heard your good news today. Would you do a work in their hearts through, their, through your spirit? God, give them strength to be hungry for your word, to be hungry to be a part of the body of Christ. And God, I hope that people in here would see the beauty of your son Jesus and like that woman, that they would walk away with Christ saying, I forgive you of your sins. Go in peace. God, help us be vessels. Those of us who know you, help us to be vessels for those people, to love them, to serve them, to give ourselves to them. God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just um, want to remind you guys, the elders are going to come on up now and pray for Nick and Angel and family. Any of you who want to stick around, friends, family, and come up here and pray, you're welcome to do so. If not, you're welcome to leave. Y'all have a great Sunday.